0: Would you like for me to tell you a little joke? <coughs> huh? Yes? Are you laughing now?
1: All right, Welcome to episode 28 of Embrace the Suck, the only official licensed, sanctioned, hunkered down podcast of APG, bringing you two cents worth of free perspective on the heavy-hitting lifestyle. Joining me today is APG co-founder Rob Stella. What's up, Rob? How you doing, Bill? The dream, man. And our very special guest back for round two, the Annie Nelson. Annie, what's happening? Hey, y'all. And as is so often the case, I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live from the city of Perm in the Russian Urals, where a man has been sentenced to two years in prison for erecting an effigy, effug- can I say this, effigy of Vladimir Putin with the words liar and war criminal attached. And that was really all there it was to story. the story. A guy didn't give the guy's name, just, hey, some idiot's going to jail because of this. So I guess uh, as bad as things are, they could certainly be worse. I don't know. Great place Washington to
0: visit. Ago. Let's
1: do it. So you almost got to watch saying that because you might be accused of being um, somehow implicit in the hacking. As They're listening. They're listening. Listening to you now. Taking notes. Well, so today Falling we got, um, got Annie Nelson to come yeah. back on and tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, where we left off. And um, you want you want to give us a quick – review of i mean i mean because your story is so uh there's so much going on um cancer survivor multiple surgery survivor uh but give us a quick update and then let's pick up where we left off like we want to hear more about your book and what you've got going now
2: um well there was no cancer fortunately the brain tumors neither one of them were cancerous but they were um uh, a journey in their in their But, um, since the book, uh, there's been more surgery, which has been a joy, especially during COVID and then, uh, followed by three little procedures, which was even a more joyous experience during COVID. And other than that, you know, this 14 days to flatten the curve, I'm, I'm really ready to get going again.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Flatten the curve. Yeah. That's, that's my mistake there. Cause I'm like the regular people that hasn't fortunately had to deal with things like that. So to me, like, uh, Uh, when you say tumor or cancer or or any number of things, it all goes in into one big sock of here's, here's a bad deal. One each. (laughs) So so, sorry about that. But, um, but uh, so you wrote a book about your experience then. I did. Uh huh.
2: I did. It's called resilience coming back from crisis with faith, passion and purpose. And um, never really thought I was going to write a book or be a, a poster child for crappy things happening. But um, several people had asked that I do that. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So we did it. Um, fortunately, it was done that if it can help anybody, um, that was the purpose of the book. It's turned out to be helping more people than um, than I realized, which is wonderful. Um, had no idea, I was, <laughs> I was Googling it the other day, just because I forgot the link for Amazon and I needed to copy it for somebody that wanted to get some. And when you Googled the book, it came up first at, available at Walmart versus on Amazon. And I had no idea Walmart picked it up. So that was.
1: Now of, you know uh, you made it.
2: I'm saying, yeah. You know, How you I mean, know
1: you've arrived.
2: <laughs> and I, you're at I Walmart. not but the book did.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. Hey, well, you know, I, I don't think I know a team guy or, a, you know, even lots of regular people that don't have a good idea for a book. I should write a book, bro. Uh, but I mean, obviously, you have a good idea for a book, but you actually went out and did it. How did you go from like, hey, I should write a book or somebody hounding you about it to actually sitting down and do it? Did you know what you were doing? Have you written before?
2: No, yeah, no. I um, I write for U.S. Veterans Magazine, so, but that's a column, and I write about other people. I, I, uh-huh. write, I write about veterans and military members, and highlighting them and their stories is, is um, quite simple for me to do. Mm-hmm. But writing about yourself and trying to sort through the weeds and figure out what in your journey would resonate with other individuals. What do they want to know? What don't they want to know? What do you leave in? What do you leave out? How personal and raw do you want to be? Um, I didn't know any of that. And um, for me, I, I worked with another another gal that writes books for other people. All the time. and so we we by the time I found her in this process was a journey in itself because I had originally partnered with one person and that didn't work out. And um, when that didn't work out, I thought, well then. I'm not supposed to do this. That was my sign. <laughs> just put that aside. You've been public. I've just keep public speaking. You don't need to add author to it. And then another friend who happened to be a he was actually at Green Beret back in his day, and now he an entrepreneur owns um, Broughton Hotel chain, and he's got several books out. Kind of needled me. His name is Larry Broughton to get the book done, and uh, introduced me to the lady that he's worked with on several of his books, and his books have all been very successful. So when I met her, um, we struck it off, um, seemed to be on the same page of like-minded individuals and she was just eager to help me out. And so that turned out to be a really good thing. So we, um, I gave her everything I had had and she kind of helped mold it and craft it and edit it and that kind of a thing. And then you have to, you know, what pictures do you include? What pictures don't you include? And then write your foreword. And, um, when you're no name if you're not a celebrity, um, you're not going to get published nine times out of 10. You know, you're not mm-hmm. going to get these big, and there is no, when you, first of all, when you set out to do a book, you have to learn that there is, you, you don't become wealthy making a book. That's usually, I mean, if you're a celebrity, um, for example, you know, Donald Trump Jr. has a book out right now, or um, and any number of people in the political scene do books, um, seldom do people that don't have a name that has been across the news media for some good or bad get book deals. So when you're going to jump off and do one, know that it's going to cost you time and money and not the other way around. And then depending on how your book does and how much the the percentages are and how you, you know, when you sell the book on Amazon, you don't get obviously the amount that you're charging for the book or that Amazon's charging for the book um, or other people. You have to figure that out. There's like a magic to that and what percentage. And so- you kind of have. Are to you really saying they're getting it. rich off
0: your ideas? Amazon don't really, do that to you. Not really
2: rich. There's just so many hands in the pot because you have to, yeah. you have, to have a printer. You have to have a, you know somebody to write and or or at least edit your stuff. You need a photographer to do your your photos for your cover. You need a graphic artist to because there's a whole magic in the sizes and the graphics that go behind a book, especially if we're going to do it online and a printed version and mine both. And then there's different graphics, if it's paperback versus hardback, and then it's all of that mixed in with text, which, you know, you don't just buy a software program that says here book text or, you know, book mock up and then type your words in and poof, you have a book. I mean, I guess you can go down that path, but um, to be, uh, to be plausible and, and to be available to sell via the mediums that are out there that are selling books, you have to do it the right way. So yeah,
1: really well, let's jump
2: into
0: thing. this book a little bit because you have, uh, this is based on five different pillars you came up with. So I guess that was kind of your starting point for writing this book is you had kind of this outline of these five pillars you're going to talk to. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, they, they weren't really the starting point. They were um, As the story developed, I kind of looked back at it and realized that was kind of, how I handled everything did I say these are my pillars and this is how I'm gonna handle myself as I go through life no putting the journey out there in paper and looking back at it those themes kind of popped up and became the pillars that saw me through it but it wasn't yeah. something that was established prior to going through life
0: copy all right so l- let's talk about some of these like you have your first one define your situation oh uh, so what is what does that really mean
2: but I think first of all when you look at resilience which a lot of people throw around for all different types of things whether you, you build a resilient business whether you build a resilient family whether you raise resilient children whether you yourself are resilient what is being resilient and that's you know coming back from something get the, the ability to get back up once you've been knocked down well in order to get back up when you're knocked down you have to figure out where you're at when you're down because there is a there's no place to go but up when you're down but when you're dealt crappy situations which A lot of America has dealt that right now because of what we've all gone through. A lot of the world right Right. now, actually, because of what this pandemic has put everybody through. Everybody's like in their own boat, in their own way has been knocked down. And so figure out where you're at when you're knocked down. Define your situation. You know, why are you where you're at? Was it because of choices you made? Was it because of things that happened outside of your control? Really figure out where you're at because no matter where you're at, there's always good in something you you know mm. you wake up breathing that's a blessing that's a good thing you you might be financially desolate well then you got to figure out how am I gonna take care of my finances how am I gonna get back on my feet so you have to really define where you're at and then you gotta figure out you know take a personal inventory what have I got that I know I've got that nobody can take away from me that this situation is not change in me whether it's my personality whether it's my degrees whether it's my experience whether it's the way I have an, I look at I look at life whether it's my children my family Um, my health, anything that you have that's a part of you, you can use to bounce back and get back up from. So you need to not only figure out why you're at where you're at and what it is you're trying to change about your situation, but then you got to figure out what have I got that I can already use? And then what do I need to surround myself with to make my situation better? And who do I need to surround myself with to get me to that next place? Because nobody can do it alone.
0: I think a lot of this sounds like it's attitude. You know, it starts with attitude.
2: Yeah, Yeah. but I think it's a lot more than attitude because you can wake up in the morning and have a good attitude or a bad attitude, but still not realize where you're at and where you're going. So attitude's a choice. And just like investing in yourself is a choice. Um, It's about the choices we make. Like, you know, for me, a lot of my situations that I was down with were health related. Um, And those unfortunately were out of my control, but it was gonna be in my control. How to get healthy again, and if I was going to do the work to get them, um, just like anybody else trying to get up from being knocked down, whether it's in your business, in your career, in your family, in your marriage, um, being a parent, you you have to take the ownership of I need to work on things, and when I work on things, the result of that work and that effort is going to be getting me from point A to point B, and getting me from down to up, and getting me from a negative experience to a positive experience, and just know that it's a journey and a process so you're always going to be evolving even if you set a goal and you reach that goal you want to set the next goal so you there's always yeah, oh, the moving, a moving picture
0: you know we talked about this in our last tip of the week as well you, you do need a plan like you said but you got to act on it that's the most important thing and a lot of people are hesitant to act on it or they're waiting for the perfect time and and I think that kind of um It reinforces what you were saying about understanding where you are and where you want to go. But it's more than that. You actually have to act on it. And I think a lot of people in today during our pandemic aren't acting on it, Um, whether they're in fear that it might be the wrong decision or whatnot or can keep getting worse. It can always get worse, but not doing something about it almost guarantees it's going to get worse. So act, start moving in some direction. And then, as we say, course correct as you get moving.
2: Well, and just not be afraid to try. Right. Not right. everything you do is going to end up, you know, not not everything we try in this life is going to turn out, you know, with a bed of roses and be the great greatest thing ever. But if you don't try, you don't know. And if you don't have failures, you don't grow from them and learn from them so that your successes become all that much greater.
0: Yeah, I think failure has been a taboo for so long. Uh, people are starting to understand that it's it's not that bad. But I, I think we uh we culturally just treat it Like it's something extremely toxic where, you know, in the SEAL community, we want our guys to fail because that's where the learning occurs. So we push them to the point of failure. And I think too many people are in fear of failure because they think that is something bad occurring, but actually it's, it's good. It helps you course correct. It helps uh, you learn from your past mistakes and guides you uh, towards success eventually.
2: Well, and it shows that you have the guts to to go for it. You have the fortitude and the grit to actually try something that, you know, hey, what have you got to lose? It's either going to work or it's not. What's the worst case scenario if it doesn't work? You try something else. What's the worst case scenario? I mean, if it's the best case scenario, it works. So yeah, it's just a matter of getting up and doing whatever that is that you decide you want to get up and do
1: in a lot of ways, I think you could almost compare it to getting in a boxing ring and expecting to knock a guy out with one punch. It's never going to happen. No one's ever just got in there and one punch and oh, I, I took a swing and it didn't work. I didn't win. Well, that that happens, man. You got to keep swinging, you know, Well, you
2: got to and in the boxing ring too. Like Tito Ortiz is one of my dear, dear friends. And sometimes he does get it done pretty quickly in the ring, but the, the amount of work that goes into that one moment is, is tremendous. I, I mean, he, prepares like nobody I've ever seen prepare for something. And so when he goes in there for that, when he gets in the ring, he knows he's ready and he's given it all and he's laid it all on the line. And he knows that for this moment, he has prepared and done everything he could possibly do to, to elevate him and get him ready for that fight. And I think more people need to go through life that way that, you know, whatever you tackle, have you put in the work? Have you really done what it's going to take so that when you are presented with that moment, whatever your moment may be, are you ready? And can you honestly say you're ready?
0: Yeah, I think that's powerful what you just said right there. You know, we look at him, and we think, well, he got it done real quick and easy. So why can't I? And, you know, uh, there's this one saying, you want to be where I am, but are you willing to be where I've been? And he had been through quite a lot of, uh, you know, misery, I'm sure, in his training to get where he's at. Right. And he's been through his fair share of failure. So it's not like he just showed up, said, so, you know, I think I'm going to start fighting, going in there and just knock a dude out. No. Like people don't really respect what goes behind a Mike Tyson going in and winning, uh, you know, a boxing match in a few seconds uh, or Tito Ortiz getting in there and just destroying somebody quickly.
2: Well, and he's, um, you know, Tito's had several surgeries and had to talk about, you know, he's a resilient fighter. He's come back from injury after injury and, and life happenings after life happenings to be able to, to, to be as successful as he has been and the light, you know, the way he was brought up and stuff, his his life has always been a fight and he's had the, the fortitude to get it done, but he's also developed the mental character that he, he he's not ever going to be in it to lose. He's in it to win it and he's, he's in it to fight. And so... Um, he's a good one to watch because he's come from nothing and become everything and he's self-made. But he's also the first one to tell you that he didn't do it all by himself, that, you know, he's surrounded himself with people that, you know, from trainers to sparring partners, to nutrition people, to physical therapy people, to doctors, to his life partner, to running the home, you know, the home, keep the home fire burning while he's training. He He's learned that it takes a lot and he has to count on a lot of people. So he has to assemble his team, which is like pillar four in the book talks about assemble your team, you know, who, who are you really going to count on to, to be there and to add to what you need to get yourself to the next level? I mean, nobody can just, oof, do it. Elon Musk didn't send guys to the space shuttle by himself. I mean, he may have had right. the idea, but then he needed to assemble the team to put it all together to get that shuttle to, to go, you know, to, to the space station. And he had to do it to get Tesla created. I mean, everybody that's done something amazing um, has done it because they know how to, to figure out where they're at to figure out what their own gifts are that are going to get them to the next level but then to take the time to assemble a team around them to fill in the gaps where they don't have because we're not all just blessed with oh you're perfect
0: right thing on well we elon musk you know it's funny you bring him up because i just heard a whole thing about right. him and his way he just takes action is amazing he was in this meeting where they're talking about building some tunnel from like la to vegas And they're talking about, Hey, we're going to break ground in like two weeks. He's like, well, why can't we do it right now? Why do we have to wait two weeks? Let's, let's do it right now. The next thing you know, people are moving vehicles out of the parking lot and they're getting ready to break ground. Like that's, that's the way he approaches things, which is why he accomplishes so much. You know, I have to guess there's a lot of failure in his uh, past, but man, that, that, that is a man that everyone looks at as a success. And it's because he doesn't wait around. He doesn't have that um, paralysis through analysis mentality.
1: Right. No. Well it seems right. like there's a little bit of a self licking ice cream cone effect there too, because you know, if if Rob if me or Rob Stella says, Well, why are we waiting two weeks? Why don't we do it right now? The answer is gonna be because shut up, that's why. Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> have you been talking to my wife?
1: <laughs> I don't have any billions of dollars in the bank. If I did imagine that, like if you had a billion dollars in the bank and, and you're like, Oh, I sure could go for a an ice cream, poof, ice cream appears. Here you go, Mr. Stella. Here's your ice cream. Oh, hey, cool. Well, Why you, don't we start Mr. right Givano? now? Okay, <laughs> let me just move my car. I'll get a shovel. I'll dig to Vegas from here.
0: Yeah, but that took a lot of work and energy in his past, just like we were talking with Tito Ortiz to get to that point. So if we want to be there, these are the steps we kind of have to take. It looks like successful people, they kind of have a pattern. And uh, those that are struggling aren't following those patterns.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I think, uh, I mean, on on a serious note, they're looking at uh, looking at somebody that can walk out and and do one thing and accomplish. I think people are are prone to look at that and say, I could go out there and and make this huge success or make this one punch knockout. And people will look at the outlier and use that as as an excuse to forget about the average and and the averages get knocked down, get back up, get knocked down, get back up and keep getting knocked down until they're just fresh out of options and finally you win.
0: Yeah, that that's a, that's grit, man. I mean, we talk about that. Anybody can go through SEAL training for a day, but who can show up day after day after day being cold, wet, miserable and getting a beat down and that's that's what it's all about.
1: What was that that was was that uh, so was that one pillar just now that we hit or
2: we actually hit. We, we three touched of the a few. Five. Yeah. yeah. We hit
0: three <laughs> so of the five. We're cruising right along.
2: So just <laughs> boom, so people
0: boom, know, boom. your five pillars. Uh, why don't you just tell them what all five are, so they know? Because we never did discuss that in the beginning. Well,
2: okay. Well, I, I. mean, and it. And everybody's going to have them. But just a little preface. If when you get the book, if you get the book what you take away from it is going to be completely different than what the next person is going to take away from it. And that's kind of the way it was meant because mm-hmm. there is no one size fits all. This is how you go through life or this is how you become resilient. This is just simply my story, how it worked for me and resonates with a lot of other people. And, and the biggest pillar in my entire journey has been my faith. So no, it's not a Bible thumping book, but um, anybody, I think that is successful in any, any uh, realm of the rainbow, you you have something driving you that is greater than yourself. And so um, for me, that's, that's always been my faith. But um, so you define your situation, you take a personal inventory of where you're at. I've always been a huge proponent of creating your own personal mission statement. There's not a, a company on the planet um, that doesn't have a mission statement, whether they're good, bad or indifferent, they have um, mission statements. And years ago, when I was in college, I read a book by Lori Beth Jones who um, is, has the book called The Path, and it's creating your own personal mission statement. She even challenges you to get it down to a couple of words if you can, because a lot of them get kind of flowery and wordy. But um, right. it's huge, because when you when you think of why do companies have mission statements, it's to keep them on track, it's to keep them accountable, it's to keep them authentic, and it's to, so that people know exactly what they're about and where they're going. So if you take all of those principles and apply it to your own personal life, why wouldn't you have a personal mission statement? and then um, assemble your team, like we talked about with Tito or with Elon, you know, you've got to have, you've got to be, be strong enough to admit you can't do anything on your own, but then you have to be strong enough to accept help, and reach out, and ask for it, and then um, my last one is develop your faith, so, you know, faith is a lot more than just saying, oh, I, you know, believe in something, and I, I, you know, pray, or whatever, you really have to, just like anything else, you have to work it, and you have to develop it, and you have to, um, put time and effort into how you
1: choose to, you know. Don't explain it; embody it was <laughs> the way I heard it explained. <laughs>
2: there
1: you go. Yeah. I've, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people that that'll uh, talk till they're blue in the face, but it really only takes one good example, or you know, one good example or one bad example to get the yep. lesson across. And that's, I mean, that's where I've got some of my best lessons. Is I'm going to make sure I never do what I just saw.
2: Well, a lot of people get in their own way and they don't even realize they're getting in their own way
1: that's true I think the kind I think of I've done that too. Uh, <laughs> I think the kind of things you're talking about though I think that's the sort of thing that can resonate with everybody because it's not uh not just a my one-time experience it's one of those things where it's it, it sort of touches on a universal truth that applies to everybody like these are the things involved inherently in getting back up in succeeding in in realizing what it is you're hoping to accomplish and it's it goes beyond just your situation just my situation it's it's the kind of thing that applies to everybody
2: well yeah and i've always been a a, a firm believer you know everybody has stuff so there is not a there's not a perfect person on the planet anywhere on the planet that is you know free from having their own challenges their trials their struggles their stuff it's just some people's stuff is a little bit more intense at times than others, mm-hmm. but who am I to say, or you to say that whatever that person is dealing with, it might seem minuscule to you and I, but to that person at that time, it's huge for them. So there's not a, there's not a person out there that isn't dealing with something at any given day or every day. And just to be conscious of that and aware of it and kind of treat each other with humility and empathy. Um, I think we we go a lot farther, especially in the corporate and business world and in any kind of business world. You know, everybody's, it seems that there's a lot of people struggling right now because of what just happened with this pandemic thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: everybody's so consumed with how am I going to save my business and how am I going to get, you know, my business to get, to bounce back to where it was? Well, if we all watch out for each other and worry, know that everybody's worried about the same thing, then- it's kind of like the old golden rule, do unto others, you know, Uh, businesses should treat each other with respect and empathy. People underneath the same company should treat each other with respect and empathy. I think it would just go so much farther if we all just stepped back a minute, took a deep breath, realized we're all in a boat. Nobody's not been impacted by this for some way, shape or form. Um, And some people, it's been great for them. You know, mask manufacturers are jamming right now. Walmart and Home Depot and grocery stores never felt the hit. Um, but for all the good there's been, you know, struggles. So we just have to kind of realize that we're all in a place where we can all be a little bit more in tune with what's happening and we all need to, to come to our own resilience and find a way to get back up after what we've all just been put through that was comp- our control.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, you definitely hit on a point there. I, I, I think I heard that a good while back. That everybody is in the middle of a of a hard struggle, no matter when you catch them, no matter what they're doing. I mean, when we when we first started working with pro athletes, I remember initially thinking like, how hard can your job be? You make millions of dollars, even if you screw up. I mean, you're still way ahead. But, but you know, when you know, I think when you actually get out there and see like here's your chance to fail in front of the whole world. I mean, that's, that's a huge pressure. And at the same time, you could look at somebody that's what you would think on the bottom rung. And in a way there's almost no pressure, but then at the same time, you're like a meal away from starvation, you know? So it's, everybody's having a tough time and especially now. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and with the,
2: with the professional athlete, um, you know, and around several of them majority of my lifetime and, they, everything that they're dealt with, it's, it's personal. So, you know, if you're, if you are not at the peak of your performance, and that is all based on you and your body and how you perform, you are, you know, you can be cut or fired or whatever, just as quick as anything, where within a a job world, you know, you don't always have to be the fittest, the, the, you know, most on time, the most rest, you don't have to be doing human physical things that other people can't do. And then yeah. you gotta remember these guys, they leave high school and they their adult life becomes a game and about a game mm-hmm. and everybody throws things at them because for whatever reason they've put such an importance on the celebrity aspect of it. So people are giving them stuff for free all the time. People are telling them where to go. They pick up their bags, they get on a, some places, their team bus, whatever. I mean, everything is so not real to what the normal everyday person gets up and, you know, puts their pants on the same way. Mm-hmm. They, they don't put their pants on the same way. They do in a literal way, but there's so much, you know, their meals are prepared, their, their clothes are dropped off, their bags are packed, their travel's arranged for them. All they do is get up and go, and then they've got to go perform at the best level. So that when if and when that stops, that's a huge mental thing to overcome because their life probably changes the most when the game is over
1: oh yeah yeah that was something that um we actually got a request for that i got started on and never really got a chance to finish up with was writing out uh, kind of a manual about how the world works for guys going from that kind of a situation to a regular person situation like how do you check into a hotel how do you set up your own bank account how do you you know how do you do all these things how do you get a cell phone what happens when you check in at the airport you know, things that we gotta yeah. take for granted.
2: Well, that, and how do you, how do you learn who genuinely cares about you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who
2: is, who is not in it for the money or for what they can get being next to you or saying they know you? What, what women can you date that are genuinely wanting to know you? How do you know when people really care about who you are as a person and what makes your heart tick and not saying that or using your name or trying to get any kind of money or, or something from you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not easy to figure out. Not easy to figure out when you're a regular person, let alone a 20 something year old multimillionaire.
2: Right. And how do you, how do you invest that money with the right people so that it's not gone when you wake up and the career's over and all of a sudden you find out your money's gone?
1: Yeah. Who was um? there was, it was, it was only a few months ago. Now there was somebody high profile that, who was it that had made somebody's several million of somebody's dollars disappear? No idea. Yeah, it
2: happened so much.
1: Yeah. It, it happened so much. Which theft do you mean? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so what do you got going now? What are you, uh, what all are you working on now? I know we covered it in uh, episode 19, but um, for quick reviewer to be up to date, what do you, what do you have going now? Uh,
2: well, actually the prior to, locked down or whatever we had, you know, we were getting ready to do a book tour and a lot of speaking engagements and everything was going to go one way. And then that came to a screeching halt. So, and since everything is still kind of on the unknown, as far as if people are ever going to have live events again, when they're going to have live events again, and that, um, that's still on hold. But through this process, I um, became aware of a situation, you know, I run the nonprofit for our troops, obviously, and suicide's been huge. Uh, across the country, not just in the veteran and military community, but across the country because of of COVID and isolation. So the efforts of working to um, continue the efforts of American Soldier Network, despite a pandemic, which doesn't allow you to fundraise, has been um, challenging, but is is turning a corner. And then I was, um, (laughs) I won't say I was shocked, but I learned more about what's happening in our country with child trafficking. And that's become Mm. a, a big passion, passion point for me. And um, actually, one of the guys that, um, a former team team guy, uh, Craig Sawyer.
1: Oh, who, yes.
2: When Craig left the um, teams, he was in the FBI, and now he's founded Ch- uh, Vets for Child Rescue. And he and I have been um, dear friends for a long time. And I always knew what Craig did with rescuing and, and seeking out and capturing the bad guys and having them, you know, go to prison. But for some reason, I just, and I think most of America thinks this way, I just didn't think it was happening here. Like for some reason, my head couldn't wrap around that child sex trafficking was a big problem in the United States. And the realization of that has come over the last six months of, you know, we're losing 820,000 children a year in the United States alone and less than 1% get rescued. Um, That became big. And I'm not a mom. I don't have any kids, but that's something I always wanted was to be a mom and to have kids. Mm -hmm. So this, um, it just didn't sit right. So I knew there was something I needed to try to do to.
1: So if if you could elaborate then, I mean, based on what you've heard so far, because I know, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people talk about this, and it's something more people are starting to have visibility on. But, um, you know, and I don't want to sound so much like a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that there are people interjecting uh, wackiness into the conversation, just to sort of distract from from an issue that's going on that somebody should be addressing reasonably. What can you tell us about when you say eight hundred? What did you say, eight hundred and twenty thousand? About
2: eight hundred and twenty thousand children are um, trafficked in the United States every year.
1: So, when how does that uh, how does that work out? Do you mean American American uh, children trafficked around, or out of, or from outside the U.S. and then into the U.S. or what? All you know of the it? above. Uh-huh. All of
2: the above yeah all of the above i've met um, in, in july for example i um i met a young boy uh and it's boys girls there is no it, it doesn't discriminate there is there the kids are from boys girls all different ethnicities all different mm-hmm. socioeconomic backgrounds it just doesn't matter mm-hmm. um but i did le- i i met a young boy who is adorable and he's right now well 7th grade so 11ish i'm guessing mm-hmm. Um, And he was kidnapped at age seven, riding his scooter on his street and was trafficked until he was uh, nine years old. And by the grace of God, they got him back. And he is, um, he's doing, he's doing really well now. I mean, he's obviously he's in counseling and stuff, but if you looked at him, you would never know. Although if you really looked at him, you would, you would just see a sadness in his eyes. He's, um, he's a sweet, looks like a normal kid you'd ride on the school bus with, but to know the horror that happened, you know, to him. Um, is just one of the stories. And, and he kind of put the face on it for me in person type of thing. And then I was t- <laughs> talking to a lady down the street who lives a couple houses down from me. She happens to be a school teacher, retired. And we were talking about it because she saw that I had a sign on the back of my car that says save our children. And she said, do you know that I have two girlfriends, both in separate circles of my family, you know, that I just know out of not they I don't know them together. I, they're two friends that I know from different walks of my life, and both of their daughters are currently gone and are being trafficked, and they were both teenagers runaways. away, and so then when I started to kind of explore about that, um, if a teen runs away and you don't get them back within 48 hours, the chances of getting them back are slim, very, very mm. slim, and wow. there's a, um, Craig has a documentary that he finished that is out now, it's free to watch, it's called Counterland, and they got it in 90 million homes in July, because one of the networks picked it up and um, he's trying to get more people to pick it up. It's a documentary that ex- explains it basically, very graphically um, and everybody should see it and everybody should know to you know protect their kids. There's no age limit either. I mean, kids, kids are being hurt because they do organ harvesting. If they don't sex traffic gum, they, mm-hmm. they it's just there's a lot of evil ugliness happening and there's a lot of really powerful, powerful people behind the scenes making a lot of money. It's the number one financially growing industry in America. Is trafficking, and so.
1: So what is the what is you know, the profile just... for this look like? Like, is there a is there any kind of a common thread? Like, you know, uh, kids just get snatched up, or is it primarily runaways, or primarily, you know, what? Yeah, are there any commonalities? It's pretty much
2: all of the above. It's pretty much all of the above. No, it can happen. Um, a lot of times it'll be children that are isolated or children that have a lot of time on their hands. A lot of the pedophiles. Um, will recruit them via social media and they will spend one to three months um, developing a relationship with the child via social media before mm. they even meet them in person mm-hmm. and they gain their trust. It'll be kids that are um, maybe have low self-esteem right now or at that certain time. And they will, you know, tell them what they want to hear. They'll encourage them. They'll, you know, if it's a girl, you're beautiful, you, you know, a model, whatever the case may be. Um, and they groom them and they lure them via the internet and via via social media and via other platforms that, you know, TikTok was huge. Um, oh and
0: it's yeah. I'm yeah. um, going to get that through to a bunch of our friends' parents. Cause my, yeah. I got a 15 year old daughter and I explain this stuff to her all the time. In fact, I bought a little tracking device for her cause her phone is probably the first thing that's going to go away. So you can't count on that as a tracking device. Right. So I bought like the smallest tracker I can find because it's a very real threat. And I live in Southern California. So <laughs> You know
2: it's... Uh, in actually Orange County, California is the number one county in Southern in California for trafficking in San Clemente and Anaheim I guess are two hot spots right now.
1: Mm. Yeah. So those are not,
2: you know, impoverished areas by any means. Those are your those are your next door neighbors. Those are your mom those are your kids. I mean, those no, are No, the threat kids. is
1: real. So and, when you say such that such this is the the fastest growing one of the fastest growing enterprise. industries uh in the in the country and that there is a lot of um, a lot of powerful people that are either involved or not doing anything about it. Um, How do you, how do you make sense of that?
2: Um, I would say I I can't make sense of it. And I don't think any of us could, because we can't, we don't think like that. We don't have our head around. I would never hurt an animal, let alone hurt a child. Um, There's a lot of satanic stuff attached to this. And I know people are going to go, oh, conspiracy. No, it's not. I mean, if you, you can Google some of the terms being thrown out there that they're doing to these children and Oxford university been studying it since the fifties. So it's not, it's not, um, conspiracy theory. It's not, you know, Oh, you're just trying to scare people. No, not at all. And if people were more scared, maybe we'd be saving more children, but if we don't talk about it and we don't get the truth out there, how are we going to help these kids?
0: Um, you know, I think, uh, Annie, what you guys are doing, th- this is the reality. And this is what blows my mind is where, uh, you know, the drug market, that's uh that's a high risk high reward business right there it's high risk because they brought all this attention to it back in the 80s and whatnot uh drug or the human trafficking is actually low risk high reward and because it's low risk is why you saw it blow up and it blows my mind that human trafficking would be considered low risk to this criminal enterprise but it is and love
2: him or hate him i mean i i don't want to take this down the political path, but this is the first administration that has actively tried to hit this head on in not only talking about it, but in allocating resource money to it and to the, and to the survivors and the recovery. Um, there's covert operations happening across the country right now and across the world that this president has authorized to go after these monsters, and he's allocating our resources and our funding to do that, which has not happened. He's already arrested over 13,000 predators in his three years of office so far. Um, I realize it's not just him directly; that it's an entire group. But you have to you have to give the, the the law enforcement the resources, and you have to stand behind going after an epidemic like this financially in order to tackle it. It's not something that's you're going to wave a magic wand and it's going to you know disappear and um, this president talks about it. He, he has allocated funding for it. There's missions happening that I, you know, I'm sure you guys know people that are working on it, um, both in the military side and the law enforcement side. And there's, you know, a lot of veterans. And one thing that I, I reached out to Craig when we were talking is I want to figure out a way that we can somehow get more veterans involved in this because A, they're trained for this. They are trained to scout and seek bad guys and get them. Yes, rescuing the children may be wonderful, but getting these predators off the streets and busting their, their,
0: network, their
2: cartel, for that matter. And if you give a veteran a, a job that's mission centric and that's purpose driven, that's just a win-win for everybody. You guys, you guys, and men and women that have served, you know, your entire career in the military, whether it be a short one or a long one, is mission centered and it's purpose driven. And you can't just come out of the military with all these things been given in the military that you know a lot of people say. Oh, well, I don't know how to translate what they learned in the in the military to like a, a degree. Well, you don't need a degree. You have gotten more experience and more knowledge and more life lessons by serving in the military than most people are going to get when they sit in a classroom and earn a degree. So if we can take the knowledge and wealth of our veteran populace and put them to use in trying to combat this and eradicate this, not only the United States, but the rest of the world, that is just to me a no-brainer. And we just have to find the funding to be able to hire the men and women that are already equipped and ready and I know would jump on this because it's 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 saving human life, it's protecting our kids, it's doing what they did when they were serving and um to be able to utilize that we already have it. We already have we we'll have to be able to find a way to, to fund it and to get these these heroes back on the streets so protecting and, and helping these kids because it's got to stop. I mean, you know, from organ, sex trafficking is one thing. Child pornography is another thing. Organ donation and, or, I mean, organ stealing, actually. And just some of the other gruesome things that, you know, I'm not going to talk about okay. here, but it's, it's yeah. a real thing. And it's, I was, I was, I didn't sleep for three days when I learned some of the things that I learned about. Cause I'm, I'm that girl. Like if I see a dead deer on the side of the road back in the Midwest, it bothers me. You know, like I'm, I'm that girl. I can't kill anything. But to know what these kids are going through and these people that have been trafficked, i mean it's
1: it's it's mind boggling that it's even happening yeah um back when uh it was a few years back when they were going to have the um the super bowl in atlanta and we had uh, we had talked to a few people went to a few meetings because apparently whenever the super bowl is in town wherever it's going to be the uh the sex trafficking um numbers just go through the roof so mm-hmm we had talked to a few people and they they wanted to put an effort together because Atlanta was already a hub, you know, because it's a major airport. It's a a major uh, port of entry. So they said, you know, as long as all the attention and all this money is going to be coming into town, we'd like to try to do something about this. And we said, well, you know, we, we have some experience with, you know, developing this kind of capability and, and uh, helping set up networks and, and streamline operations and this kind of thing. We said, let us sit down with some people and and help out. So, I guess the uh, the mayor's office there had stood up. A, I don't want to say a task force, but I mean, I, I don't know what you would call it. Maybe a a, a a newsletter subscription list is probably the closest thing you could call it to a, an organization. But we we went to we went to one meeting. We met a lot of people. And the, uh, the the crux of the thing was we want to do like a wristband and t-shirt campaign. And, you know, I, I don't want to slam too hard on people that say they want to help. But, you know, it, it's it's going to take more than t-shirts and wristbands. And we talked to a lot of cops. Uh, we talked to state level actors, local actors, and everybody that we talked to said the same thing. They said, you know, what, if if you can talk to people and figure out a way to get us the the manning, the funding, Uh, everything we need to make this work, you'll be the first because you won't be the first that's tried. And we said, well, look, you know, we're, we're at a a high level venue. We're talking to high power people talking about, you know, state level here. And it's got, you know, federal eyes are on this. And every guy we talked to was still like, yeah, whatever, dude, we'll see you and
2: well and even at the simplest level if you think about it like remember when we were kids and the dare program came out
1: yeah yeah you know
2: for drunk driving why don't we have some type of a dare program in schools teaching kids not to be lured not to be groomed making it a very real thing you know just say no and go i mean you know um danger stranger danger stranger danger which we used to teach if well, somebody's coming you know run and scream and I mean but you don't even hear about it in schools, and we need to be more active and we need to demand that for these
1: well kids. not to go too far down too any too many rabbit holes but i'll 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 tell you why I think when I was in Iraq in two thousand and seven we uh part of our job was to train up the Iraqi special ops counterparts guys, so it's their special ops guys. So there would be, um, you know, some, some quality training, but then we'd take them out on an initial patrol. And if they show that they know what they, they can do, then they, we'd take them out with us, you know, to go hunt for Carlos the Jackal or whatever. And uh, these guys, we one block of, of uh, you know, trainees, they go out on their initial patrol and it's an evening patrol. And it's like, your, this is your real world kind of in dock thing. And they walk by this house and there's a cop car pulled up in the yard and lights are still spinning and they're screaming and yelling coming out of the house so they walk in there to see what's going on and it's one of the local policemen drunk in the house demanding that um one of the women that lives there have sex with him and so obviously they roll him up and bring him back but rolling this guy up you know, trying to do anything over there. It involves 20 levels of bribery. And if you talk to him, you can't talk to me, but only if you talk to his cousin. And then we all meet in a circle and, you know, but by rolling this guy up, it brought shakes from far and wide to show up to say, oh, no, no, he is a good man. You must let him go. And why is he such a good man? Why is he so important? Because this is, this is the guy. This is the trafficker. If you want booze, if you want girls, this is the guy you see. But now that he's been rolled up, now it's a priority. So, I mean, right. we see this kind of, I mean, we, I mean, you see Asia, I don't, I don't, who am I going to tell about Southeast Asia? I mean, that's just, I mean, that's a meme at this point. But I mean, you see this kind of thing everywhere. So it would be silly to imagine that it, it doesn't go on here in the same, uh, you know, with the same dynamic. But uh, I wanted to ask you if you, in your time in dealing with this or talking to these people, um, have you seen a, an uptick in interest or in in numbers or visibility or anything since uh, since say the Jillian Maxwell arrest or since Epstein didn't kill himself? Uh,
2: <laughs> um, well, I would say that this has been one of the silver linings of COVID. The reason I'm saying that is because people have had the time to be home to actually research things they've heard that they, they thought were conspiracy and they can actually go and look up stuff and get informed there have been um, peaceful protests, if you want to call them that, all over California and other parts of the country for Save Our Children. Uh-huh. Um, we, there we did, the July the 30th was International Human Trafficking Day, and there was a huge one in a bunch of cities up and down the coast of California, which California usually doesn't jump on the bandwagon of good things, you know? Um,
1: yeah.
2: It's usually the controversial fist in the air type of things that we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, this is standing on the side of what is right and what is good and what is trying to combat pure evil and that is something that is so different than one person in a certain vocation doing a bad thing on an occasion this is something that every single person that participates it is bad and it is evil so you've got a lot of parents that have now been educated or are getting educated you have people in the community like myself that aren't parents but that are mortified by this that are that are rising up and using their voices and you're seeing a lot more people use social media to say, you know, Hey, (laughs) this is not a conspiracy." flight log that came out with a lot of celebrities and elite individuals that were named on that thing that are trying to run from that truth. There's a, there's a big thing happening between good and evil and people that don't want to deal with this because it's such a lucrative industry and money talks. And so people that get it And fortunately, there are some high-profile individuals getting it other than the administration. I've seen Christy Alley's a huge – she's being a huge mouthpiece for this right now. Um, And other individuals that if we could get some athletes behind it, we just need to get people to educate themselves. Don't take my word for it. Don't take your word for it. Use DuckDuckGo. Don't use Google because obviously – Right now, there's a lot of stuff being hidden from people when you go to Google something. DuckDuckGo is encrypted. You can go on there and search anything. Nobody knows what you're searching. You'll still get the same information. You'll actually get more authentic information. And you can do your own research and find out what is happening and how it's happening. You can look up the arrest records. You can see what this administration is trying to do to eradicate this. Um, You can go look up Craig Sawyer's Vets for Child Rescue. You can watch the movie Counterland. You can go look at um, Underground Railroad by Tim Ballard. They have just had their four thousandth rescue, um, so there. It's it's a fight, and it. I mean it. it I, it's no joke. It's a fight, but it's going to take everybody getting it and saying, you know, enough is enough. I don't care if you're wealthy. I don't care if you have means that I don't have. You you don't do this to other human beings. You don't even do this to animals. This is just flat out wrong. And there's right. not a a, a a there's not a partisan thing to it. It's just wrong.
1: Concur, yeah. I mean, that's that says it all. It's it's not a way to run a railroad, and uh, a, a government is at the very least supposed to look out for the safety and well being of its citizens. This has to be a priority, you know. And I, I I hate to go political on on this kind of thing, but I don't think there's anything political about it. I mean, this is a, a basic thing that should be happening. No, this
2: is this is human beings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Cool. Cool. Well, all right. Well, where can people find you now? Where can people see what else you're up to?
2: Um, Even though I someday like to say I'm going to go off the grid, I'm still on the grid. So uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, they're all the Annie Nelson, because believe it or not, there were other Annie Nelsons out there. So I just threw the word the in front of it. So the Annie Nelson on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, The book is Resilience, Coming Back from Crisis with Faith, Passion, and Purpose. The nonprofit is American Soldier Network. um, And they're, you know, American Soldier Network. On Twitter, it's For Our Troops, F-O-R-R Troops, T-R-O-O-P-S. But other than that, on Instagram and on Facebook, it's American Soldier Network.
1: Cool, cool. Rob, you got anything you want to plug before we wrap it up?
0: Uh, we got the tip of the week going out every Tuesday. If uh, you want to check those out, get on our website at www.apg.team, and you could subscribe to that. It's about a minute or two-minute read every week, but it's full of uh, good information and good perspective on what's going on in the world.
2: I think, Rob, don't we need a quote from Rob? I mean, isn't that just the way to kind of tie this
1: up in a little bow. Yes, indeed. So as the sun sets slowly in the east, let's leave you with the words of Rob, what do you got?
0: Well, it's not going to be my quote. I'm going to steal this one from Winston Churchill because I think he pretty much tied everything up that we were talking about with resiliency today and he says success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts.